0: You're listening to Seek Bytes, a podcast by software engineers for software engineers. On this episode, we talk with special guest Rahul about JavaScript runtime engines. We define runtimes versus engines, discuss some popular and emerging options such as Dino or Bun. We ask what it means to be a performant focused runtime and as always share our own opinions. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to the Seek Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus. I'm here with Will. Hello, I'm Will. And Rahul. Hello, Rahul again. Today we're going to be talking
1: about JavaScript runtimes, so strap in, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, Rahul again. Like, you've been on here quite a few times, and I'm always very excited to having you on, because you have some some amazing insights, and I'm, I'm pretty excited. Is that keyword
2: for weird insights or?
1: Weird? No. Did I say weird? I certainly didn't mean to imply it. Uh, Uh, No. I love the insights. Always a pleasure to be here.
2: And this was your topic as well that you brought up. Yeah. Um, I thought I'll talk about or contribute to a conversation around JavaScript runtimes because I feel us JavaScript engineers are privileged in a way to not worry about things like runtime and stuff and focus so much on building cool applications that uh, sometimes we forget to or don't need to even look at what a runtime is and uh, what's running under the hood and things of that nature. So I thought it's a good place to bring that up. That's the advantage of being in an
0: ecosystem with like the most popular programming language. We, we were saying just before the podcast, like we don't have to think so much about uh, the nuts and bolts of how these things run because other people who are more interested in, in those Parts of what we do have solved those problems or are working on improving those problems, and we get to focus on the cool stuff, the fun stuff.
2: Absolutely. Certainly well, in, in my recent my fun times, stuff.
1: Yeah. Their fun stuff is the runtime. Yeah, certainly in recent times. I feel like in maybe, what, five, six years ago even, the, the runtime and the, the, the state of JavaScript was very different. So things have improved quite a bit since then, and I can already see the first question on there is what is a JavaScript
2: runtime? I think that's a good, good place to kick it off. Yeah. Let's start with... Um trying to make some guesses. What is a runtime in general? Isn't it what
1: runs JavaScript?
2: In a way, yes. Like
1: in the, like what, V8? Would that, like the the Chrome... That would be in it, the browser, right?
0: Yeah, like it... That's like the browser's runtime is V8. Yeah. Right? I, I, I will admit, I had to do some Googling to prime myself before the episode p- because for this reason I haven't had to think too much about runtimes I know that I've used them like ts node and stuff like that yeah. if i was going to have a guess uh it's a, it's an emulation of what the browser is was already doing to run javascript
2: yeah yeah in case of javascript all all those answers kind of add up to what a runtime is but in a general sense i would say it's like a little sandbox with some non conditions, like you know that this library is going to be there and like, some features are going to be available for your code to run successfully.
0: Is it just a container?
2: It's pretty much. It's a container. It's that.
0: a pre-configured container with environment stuff yeah. to be able to execute Correct. your code. Ah. And some
2: capabilities, like, oh, if you provide a .env file, it's going to be already sucked in. So you'll have environment variables available to you. Gotcha. So, so, like, so if, how is it different to like an
1: engine? Like a like a like a, like VA and stuff. Is that
2: not a runtime as well? Is that more like a JavaScript? Yeah, it's instance? just I think different words people like to call it a oh, okay. different things. But I think engine uh, usually means to how the actual language is processed, run, uh, how
0: like whether it's transpiled and compiled yeah, that kind like of stuff. That kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah. interpreted versus compiled versus yep. uh, whatever else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I think of engine, I think of like the interpreter and stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, okay cool. cool.
1: And a runtime, so, uh, yeah, a runtime, is that something that typically is done just for, like, service side code? Cur-? Like, would a, would a runtime also handle, like, the, you know, rendering and stuff like that as well? Or is that that's where kind of the engine comes into play?
2: Yeah, there, there's a bit of uh, play in here. So, runtime, usually, uh, you might have heard people say, oh, that's a runtime exception. Mm-hmm. Or oh, that ep- error only happens at runtime. Yes. So, it's usually in play when things are actually running. Yes, of course. So when you're running, you probably need access to file. When it's running, you probably need access to a certain environment variable. And that's where this uh, runtime topic is slightly interesting uh, for JavaScript world because it doesn't run in a single kind of setup. So it runs in the browser. It didn't run in the browser for such a long time. But then we took the guts of the browser and put it in our server. And then the JavaScript ecosystem flourished with ability to run JavaScript on the back end. Imagine a few years ago, it, that was just not a thing. Yeah, that's right. And so we're, we're using what? Runtime is both a
1: verb and a, whatever the other one is? Noun. <laughs> and a noun, yeah, because we're saying there are JavaScript runtimes. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. But also it can break in the runtime, like they're both at runtime. At yeah. runtime, yeah. It's so the yep. two, two different ways of of using it. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
2: And because JavaScript was born, like how Bane would say from the um, the Batman Batman movie, <laughs> I was born in darkness. I was born in darkness. You were just or was or it something like that, right? Yep. So JavaScript was born in browserland, uh-huh. where it was highly fragmented. So they would have like different things, and like uh, devs would like smash their heads against the wall saying, oh, it works in Netscape but not in IE or something. So something was different. They were writing the same JavaScript, but it ran in one place, but didn't run in other place. And something was slow, something was fast. Uh, over time, there was like a arms race between browsers, like I can run it faster or I can have the latest features. And so now the world is a bit more at peace. You, there's still a bit of... Um, you can run this new advanced feature that's only available in, let's say, Chrome, but not available in some other browser, let's say, Firefox or something. So that that war has settled down, but that still exists, right? We're, and we're both, reaching
0: like parity across the browsers, right? Yeah, like it's yeah, not yeah. common to not have a feature available on a browser that you would care about. Yeah. yeah. I won't name any in particular.
2: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And and as a result of that, like they had their strengths and weaknesses. So out of that uh, first thing, like you said, from Chrome, the V8 engine or the V8 runtime was extracted. And this guy, I think, called Ryan Dahl, made it runnable on the server. That, that runtime is what matured into Node.js. And believe it or not, there was like a competitor to Node.js at the same time called IO.js, and then they merged. Oh, wow. wow. Didn't he
1: end up like competing against himself and then making Dino as well? Exactly. He didn't like where the open source community yeah. was taking Node and then decided yeah. to make his own again? Again, yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah, wow. so he wanted to win twice. <laughs>
1: That's it. <laughs> has he, though? Has Dino really taken over? Anyway, we'll, let, yeah. let, we'll get into the strengths and stuff of Dino. Yeah, over. so
2: I'll just list out uh, a few runtimes that uh, are available. And uh, we can play around and things like that. So there's always the... Well-known V8 engine, or the V8 runtime. Then you have another one called uh, Spider Monkey. Well,
1: yes, Spider Monkey is that the f- Firefox one? That's right.
2: That's right. And then because um, there's a certain company with a fruit logo that wants to make everything themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have a thing called Nitro. Nitro, right? yeah. And Nitro is supposed to be performance focused. I usually don't understand performance focused as a term, because what are you trading off? Exactly, like if it's performance focused, I've never like, built something losing? and said like, you know what, I want to make sure this is slow, or I want to make sure this doesn't work, but it's fast. So, uh, but that's that's what it touted as. It's like the most performance focused JavaScript engine or a uh, runtime.
1: Yeah, actually, funny you you say that. What are they? Uh, what are they missing? I feel like it's the those three things, right? It's what, what cost, speed, and quality. Mm. But I feel like maybe in the the runtime world, it's like speed, security, and I don't know usability or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like
0: we we accept a level of complexity and performance loss in our code bases generally because we favour human readability. Yeah, because the cost of development time, you know, growing because you try so hard to be performant that you maybe have like. Um, uh, like whatever approach you want to take to make your code more performant, I feel there's usually a trade off somewhere. Um, yeah. And if that is on developer time, yeah, you might make code that's not as performant. Like, uh, yeah, there's many examples I can think of. Won't bother going through any, but yeah, you have to make that trade off.
2: Yeah. So I think I mentioned V8, Spider Monkey, uh, Nitro, also known as JavaScript Core, and there's another one. Um, I think folks in the Java ecosystem probably have. Heard more about it. It's called a Graal VM, and they call it a VM because I think you can plug in different runtimes within it. Okay, I'm not an expert on the Java ecosystem or how Graal works in general, but
0: they see it like a virtual machine.
2: Yeah, and there are uh, some statistics that say like sometimes things run faster in a Graal VM compared to by themselves. I don't know how that exactly happens, but.
0: Wait, what? That sounds how like do you marketing. Wrap, how do you wrap code in more code and it runs
2: faster? I have no idea. That, but I wanted to bring it up if uh, people are curious and want to do their own research. GraalVM, uh, who made and that? things like that. Sorry? Who was GraalVM from? I think it's, I may be wrong, but I think it started off as an incubator project from either IBM or Oracle. Okay. I'll, we will, we will
0: enhance part. the podcast with a fact checker. That yeah. is a thing we will get. Yes. Nice.
2: All right, cool. So there's some...
0: Runtimes that live in the browser, different, you know, browser companies come up with theirs. There's some mm, large Oracle. tech companies coming out with their own. Nice. So, You're Oracle right. owns the Graal.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yes. Open source distribution of Graal VM is based on Open JDK, and the enterprise distribution is based on Oracle JDK.
2: Yeah. Yep, there you go. I think interesting that uh, you start talking about JDK and things like that. They're talking about Java, right? Java yeah.
1: development kit?
0: Yeah. Because yeah. Oracle, like I used to work in, in the Oracle Java JDK.
1: I feel like, sorry, no, you. I feel like every single time, I've, I've been listening back to a few of our podcasts, and every single time Seamus is always like, oh, you know, I actually used to work in that. Yeah. Like, uh, it'll be like this out of nowhere thing, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I could, yeah, mail. I used to, I used to be a mailman. <laughs> yeah. I worked in the mailroom. I did work next to a mailroom.
0: There you go. <laughs> That's crazy. Sorry, continue. You it does work. happen a lot. It's been it's been brought up a lot at like parties and stuff like that. Be like, I swear this is like the fifteenth job that you've had. i like, I had three jobs at one time at one point
2: during the GFC. So yeah. you worked with Java, the the JDK. now yeah,
0: ages and ages ago. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. S- same here. But um, the fun fact is that there is not one JDK either. There's not one. Yeah. So there was a. I'm some? not sure. It's There's like, Open JDK like you mentioned. Yeah. Then there's an Oracle JDK with some extra bells and whistle. Then if you Google hard enough, you'll see like a Amazon JDK, which is tailored to whatever Amazon-y stuff it's doing. I'm not yeah. a... You know, so
1: actually, I've, ha- I've definitely had to install Java, and, like JDK on, on a computer before. And like, there have been multiple installations. Like, they link you to different sites. It's hard to find the right one if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Java I mean, is still
0: like the most popular language for platform agnostic applications it's like it's it's definitely there's a lot of stuff out there that's running on it so i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there's still people who are java devs i just
2: i just know that it's installed on 4 million devices like on its installer for the last few years it just says installed on 4 million devices so wow. you should trust it
0: what i keep coming back to in my head though is like historically all my experience with vms is that you you lose performance you gain flexibility you can run it on any platform but yeah. you lose performance because you're wrapping all of your existing application yeah. with another layer that's translating all of the machine stuff to your application.
2: Yeah, and, and these are good points, right? Like we should not uh, just accept something is fast or performance just because what the press says or what they're taught. Like benchmarks yeah. are benchmarks after all. Yep,
0: we On know our, that benchmarks for cars for car companies they like to say zero to a hundred, blah blah blah, but then they
2: actually did a rolling start yeah unless you're driving in Melbourne or yeah. like the road conditions, yeah. if it's not raining or like
0: perfect road conditions, no yeah. headwind in a vacuum tunnel, yeah, with zero frictional resistance from from atmosphere,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, these are the options I I wanted to talk about Graal a little bit because people interested might want to take a look and um, check out the performance benchmarks and the resources out there for themselves.
0: I'd love to hear someone who knows more about this or does some research on it to explain whether it is actually more performant or not. Because, yeah, yeah, I'm struggling to understand that.
1: Yeah. When we're talking about performance, how what, what really is the performance difference in these engines? Because I, I can't imagine, and like we would really be able to tell, would we? Yeah. At scale, you would, I think. It's like at when it's it serving so massive you, traffic,
2: that, that's why benchmarks are are a thing that you take a take it with a grain of salt because a lot of times they'll do like this: this REST endpoint can serve X requests per second in this runtime, the same code. Running on another endpoint can serve x plus three requests per seconds, right maybe it's just a better implementation of the networking stack, but that doesn't give like all the points to the runtime mm. sometimes it's like um, we've we threw uh, a million promises at is at it and it was able to handle it easily or something like that but promise is not just a Singular unit, like what are you doing within your code to resolve or reject the promise and things like that? There are like so many factors. So that you, if you go on the internet, there will be a lot of tables and graphs and stuff like that. But until you actually, maybe clone the repo and see what that benchmarking code is doing. Maybe it's hello world. Maybe it's like doing some multiplication or things like that. Some some runtimes are proud of. Um, doing large integer computations or things like that, but I'm hoping we are not using JavaScript runtimes for that. Sounds like something
1: like, sounds like these need to go into like a runtime pageant and, and yeah. they've <laughs> all got their strengths, their weaknesses, who wants to bring world peace in the JavaScript run- runtime war? Yeah,
2: I think what they're trying to still move towards is uh, the funny term, web scale. Like at web scale, which runtime allows JavaScript engineers to be more successful, and in a cost-conscious environment, would you need more servers or more instances of your application if your runtime is more versus less performant, mm-hmm. um, think, things of that nature. And then there's a whole different discussion about ecosystem, and uh, one one example is um, when we start a back-end node project, most times, oh, so I'm going to write code, I'm going to write tests, so I'm going to need Jest, Ytest, all this stuff already, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact is, I think since node 18, an entire test runner is inside node.js. So you actually don't need to install anything. And that decision could mean faster CI/CD, right? Because you don't have to pull packages from the internet, your node modules isn't humongous, so, so many benefits mm-hmm. and this node or this test runner will come to that point but this test runner is actually built with C++ <laughs> because most things in uh, V8 are built in C++
0: Right, okay so there's no like language cross language barrier or anything like that it's just all native
1: Yeah, yeah Are we all kind of locked into one of these engines more? I just feel like I, I certainly hear V8 more maybe because Google kind of powers most of (laughs) you know the web um but is that certain is that kind of the most popular one that that we use and is there any alternatives to to that as well
0: google probably also has the biggest marketing budget yeah it's like we probably will hear more about their engine than anyone else's even if it isn't the most popular
2: yeah i think there is popularity stuff then there is uh, because if you're
1: also, the name V8 sounds epic yeah. compared to Spider Monkey. Yeah. I yep. think Google <laughs> kind of picked, you know, they won the name battle there. Yeah. yeah. All but the, best but the great
0: thing
2: is right? yeah. it, it's V8 since it launched.
0: All <laughs> oh, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's not like V9, V10 or something. So the day it <laughs> yeah. launched, it was V8, and now there's like other version numbers that just sit alongside it.
1: I see. They haven't had added any more cylinders to this. Basically, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah.
2: And, and I think what has happened is I think it has... The most knowledge among people that are interested in this kind of stuff. So, like, they don't want to learn the entire API surface to port it to something else and things like that. But uh, I think I won't say the cracks are starting to show. But people are expecting more. People uh, want to backtrack from certain decisions, uh, which did make sense when V8 was young, but now, you know, all the partying and. Late nights, maybe it's showing, and then <laughs> you have to like start sleeping at nine thirty or something. I don't know, but uh, the some of the decisions that were made now, uh, people are uh, giving it second thoughts. One one that this one of that decision means um, some security decisions. So uh, going back to the alternatives to let's say Node.js, which is powered by V8. Uh, there is another one called Dino. I think we just hinted towards it, and Its creator is the same guy who created Node.js. And he wants to backtrack on a few decisions. Things like, when I'm running an application, I want to explicitly tell the application if it can use the network or not.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, at first I was like, I never have that problem because my Node.js programs always talk to a database or...
1: I mean, that's kind of a big point of JavaScript, right? Input, output, talking to something, external, network connection.
2: But there are probably some use cases I I haven't thought about deeply enough. Uh, Maybe for console applications that are only supposed to do certain thing, but not send data to, you know, uh, unfriendly country or something like that. Uh, They also ask you to explicitly mention if you can use more file system than it's already using. So there are always these flags, like max memory and things like that. So you don't want your node application to chew up all your RAM, for example. Right. Even though it does happen in Chrome at times. Because
0: I'm realizing, like, if you build an application where you don't need network, um, but it has access to network, that is a security hole, right? Like, if someone... You can... You can you can probably turn your brain off to whole whole avenues of security concern if the thing can't talk to the network. You don't have to bake in any protection against network malicious malicious network activity, right? Correct,
2: correct. And and maybe the uh, runtime does some optimizations by not loading a part of its mm. uh, core libraries that is network-related because they're gonna, not going to be needed. Um, just as an yeah, example. so you're
0: like your startup, um, your cold startups might be a little bit faster if if your runtime, like just generally speaking, not just like JavaScript runtimes, but if you don't have to load in 20% of your infrastructure, then your cold startup should be a bit faster.
2: Yeah, yeah, something like that. And this is just as an example, like maybe you write um, some program a Node.js or JavaScript program that runs on a vacuum and it needs to follow a schedule or something, but it doesn't need to send information outside somewhere, then Mm -hmm. I think a few people are sensitive towards this stuff, like, hey, I checked my Roomba and it's actually sending data to some other country. (laughs) Literally running on a vacuum. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. on a vacuum cleaner, (laughs) right? So, So some people, like imagine that's worse, like let's say it's connected to Alexa now, and now whatever you're talking to, Alexa is also getting fed to the Roomba and from Roomba to some other party, which is not a good person. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so that's, that's one, one of the features. And um, I think now that I think about it, let's say you NPM install something which was supposed to, let's say, left pad, right? But there's also some code in there that sends data, telemetric data to some other thing outside. And uh, maybe it opens door for a network vulnerability or attack vector or something.
0: So yeah, like you don't have to worry about your dependencies having vulnerabilities that are network related if your entire application can't use the network. Correct. Yeah, that's so that's what I was saying is like you can kind of close your brain off to some of the more maintenance-heavy things like keeping all your dependencies up to date, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, and you don't have to bake in as much security concerns if you can just turn off the things you know you don't care about. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point because I wasn't thinking about um, like a dependency you use sends telemetry back to the creator so that they can learn about how it's being used, right? How the package is faring in other applications. But then something else that you use happens to feed data into the same state that that package is pulling telemetry from. Yeah. And now suddenly that person's, whoever's getting that telemetry is getting that extra data, like you're saying from Alexa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking about what we were saying before about like the performance trade-off when um, one of those runtimes is like, we're performance-focused JavaScript runtime. They could do things like that, right? Like um, not enable pieces of the runtime to gain a little bit more performance. I still think there's trade-offs. I, yeah, I, I still agree that I, like I'm the sure. performance-focused runtime is a confusing medium. Yeah.
2: So another runtime that uh, came up recently, I think less than a year ago, is called BUN. Yes, uh, I, I'm i glad you brought it up because I was going to bring it up eventually as well.
1: It, sounded, yeah. it's, it sounds interesting.
2: I and, like the name. And it, it was a bit, a bit crazy when it got launched. And it, so fast. And a lot of people were uh, giving credit to the fact that it, a lot of that is written in a programming language called ZIG. Which itself is a brand new programming language. Right. What is Zig? Z-I-G. And it's supposed to be low-level, almost like a replacement for a C type thing. General but purpose programming language and tool chain for maintaining robust, optimal, and reusable software. All right. Fantastic. Right. But the, the gist is that they're all w- what you would call a low-level programming language mm-hmm. where you manage your own memory and like you are very meticulous about every single thing. Uh, but so is C++.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at the the homepage of ZIG, and it it look it says, use ZIG as a zero-dependency drop-in C, C++ compiler. So it looks like it works hand-in-hand yeah. hand with
2: C and C++. And what's even even interesting is, um, like, Dino, part of the networking stack is actually written in Rust. Mm-hmm. So, so they've written Dino in multiple languages. So I think Dino is, like, if you can think of, like, a... Um, like a bento box. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Yep. So like most of like the bigger portion usually that they give is just rice, the cheapest thing, right? Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> so so they took V eight and kept it kept that in the rice box, and then the uh, stuff that's supposed to be the differentiating factor, like they usually have like something main with in your bento box, like maybe it's sashimi, maybe it's like I don't know katsu or whatever. That's mm-hmm. their. Um, uh, Rust side of things, yep. um, because I think uh, Rust I- is a is a programming language that encourages your program to be safer yeah, right. about memory and um, its networking stack is supposed to be robust,
0: right? So you're like leaning on the language's um, strengths Correct. in the area of the code base. Correct. And I, really I think shine. you'll
2: start seeing it more and more. We're seeing it already. Uh, so
0: yeah, the, uh, the single language ecosystem to me is a bit confusing because, I mean, as a lead uh, or someone working towards becoming a lead, it, the the people-first mentality is very strong for me. So, like, I'm happy to lose a little bit of performance if it makes the code significantly easier to, to comprehend and parse and, and make changes to. Yeah,
2: we we always say people-first and we also say right tool for the right job. Yeah. So, maybe JavaScript as, like, the heart of something so... Um, Network-heavy or something was probably not the right choice. Or maybe C++ is way too complicated. It, it's amazing, but it's way too complicated. Its constructs or its primitive are a bit like if you are an expert, maybe you get it right. If you're not an expert, you have errors or something no like that. No one
0: wants that. to eat just rice or just chicken. Yeah. You need a little bit of everything.
2: Yeah. you, you need, need, And especially like you're not going to get much protein out of rice. So like if you want protein... <laughs> Right, so <laughs>
0: I like it. I like these analogies. I'm learning Japanese at the moment. I'm on a 50-day learning streak, yeah. so I, I can get behind this. Yeah,
2: just to close off the loop on uh, Bun, um, so it uses the Nitro um, <laughs> runtime, and it uses Zig as the base programming language for all its like base libraries and things like that. And um, yeah, that's that's most of it for Dino. Like I said, it's V8 as the rice or the main part, and then Rust for its networking stack, and handling async operations. And I think I would like to pose a question, why are people even, besides the, I want to backtrack on some decisions and things like that, why are people investing their time in making new runtimes? That's actually, the,
0: that's what I was going to ask. Like when something like node is so heavily widespread and used for most of us we're not even asking the question we're just like we just we're, we we join a new role they're already using node we use node if we wanted to move to dino or bun what's the argument for that cuz it would be the same argument that the creators had right like we want to take advantage of, like, we, we agree with their decisions to move away from Node for the same reasons. So I guess you'd need to understand what the mission statement is for Dino and the mission statement for Bun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that because, and I've only slightly looked at the Bun website. I will look into a bit more, but I want to I'll try and answer this question first. Because I thought, it, it seemed like Bun is trying to do a little bit more than just be a runtime. Like, they're they're trying to help with developer experience as well along with trying to make a good runtime. I think that's what I'm understanding with this tool.
2: Yeah, so besides their core um, core problems that they want to solve, like De- Dino wants to be secure and all that, Bun really wants to be fast, but at the same time, both are acknowledging that having three or four kinds of module system is very painful. Like in Node.js, you can write a file in Common.js, you can write something in ESM, oh, but then you have to do there's two other things, or, oh, you want to use TypeScript, so you know you have to bring this other package, and so on and so forth. right? So I think Dino and Bun are in a position where they can take a step back and see, like, in 2023 or future, how are most JavaScript applications are going to be written. So you're going to need a formatter. You're going to need a linter. You need to support at least compilation of TypeScript maybe you don't do the type checking leave it to the tsc thing but there are like few things that uh, so that like this need for the starter projects so or these template projects is really painful because it deviates really easily and then if you have a formatter then there are options and the, so to get started there're like so many choices to make and sometimes you're kind of stuck with that that choice in a project where you built a whole lot of code like massive amount of test suites, and now you want to switch it, so it becomes a bit painful. And a lot of other runtimes and other platforms, like even Go and Rust, have their own, if you want to test, this is the default. So there's default, which are good defaults for almost everything, and then you can override if you want. So Go has like a inbuilt command called GoFompt, F-M-T, and it'll just format your code. So no matter if Rahul writes Go or Seamus writes or Will writes, once that command is run, it's, it looks exactly the same. Maybe Git tells you who actually caused the bug. But,
0: so I, I think- And then you don't have the problem of like, your machine is formatting differently to my machine and your PRs have 5,000 lines of change. Mm. Because Absolutely. You haven't got are you right using
2: Windows? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Why are there line endings yep. in weird spaces and things like that? No, the, all those things. So like to getting, get started, you don't have to research. Like right now, if I want to start a project from scratch, typescript ESLint, pretty, prettier? Yeah, prettier, yeah. Every single time I'm gonna have to Google and then some plugin is broken and then something. And yeah. I think another thing that people want is uh, like a watch mode for most things because people write code in an iterative way they want it to quickly recompile and show stuff. So I think making these things as first class citizens is also one of the big factors towards this um, these things.
1: Yeah, I agree. I was gonna say the same thing. Like it's seeing, and I'm now on the website. Like it, it, it just feels like just running the runtime, just running JavaScript is half the battle. Like, but as developers, we don't we don't work with that final like that final running code. We we're writing that code so it can um, so it can run smoothly and so we can maintain it. So I think if if a runtime or some of these tools, which I think have certainly encompassed, they're the further than just a runtime now. They're essentially like toolkits.
2: Absolutely, and I think um, we are at a point where uh, a lot of people don't customize Prettier too much. They just want it to do its job. The, should I use semicolons or not? Like they'll just use one ESLint something and they'll just be done with it. They don't over optimize or uh, much. So if majority of the world is okay with one kind of formatting or something. I think most people are fine nowadays. Like there was this initial excitement. I want to handpick every single ESLint rule, and, but I don't see a lot of people doing that these days.
0: No. I know that we do have discussions when those posts get made where it's like the PR goes up to review the new ESLint rules that are coming out. Those They d- tend to circulate around the Slack threads and stuff, right? But at the end of the day, it's usually just like two people, three people from Seek that are meaningfully contributing to those decisions the rest of us are like cool just getting up to date with the new the new rules yeah it makes a lot of sense to uh bundle these things um
1: bundle (laughs)
0: bundle and that part of me was thinking that like why did they name it bundle like is it it's they're like wrapping up all this stuff in a bun
1: uh it it also says that um bun uses javascript core as well the the safari one i thought that that's an interesting decision. Uh, they even say on here, the performance-minded JS engine. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they all say that. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think both, yes, both Dino and Bun support JSX out of the box. What does this change?
1: Wait, so you, uh, does that mean we don't need like Babel or something that to like, to, to transpile it into like regular JavaScript? Is that what we, was, what we were saying? Like we can write JSX in a regular JavaScript
2: yeah, it's so like this JSX. is something I'm is have your, to like, play
0: with. Front end stuff, isn't it? So your React. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Files, yeah? Yeah,
1: React components. And,
0: Wait, yeah. so you can render. You can render your React
2: where? Not in a browser. Where are you rendering it? On on the server and so the first paint will not be on the browser anymore. So the pre-rendered ah. component. So I'm I'm curious to see where this puts frameworks like Next.js and remix. Uh, right, so the server
0: ca- could compare the buff, could compare the two, like because you know React has like two, uh, I don't know the terminology. It's got two canvases that it's printing onto, right? And it does like a comparison between the two to figure out what needs to change. Um, would that happen on the server? No, I, th- no, I think what still half is still on the client.
2: Yeah, I think I think what will happen would be like the first render. So uh, a lot of these applications that are like uh, client side rendered would first get the get the static assets like some parts of html some css and then it does a bit of javascript stuff and then then for a short moment there might be like a spinner or something with loading stuff uh, to show like the data and then it shows so that that part will be eliminated or if your application is simple enough that you know you paint something let's say you send all the re- relevant javascript to the front end you use um, JSX to do all your markup, templating, everything on the back end. It gets rendered to HTML, sent it to the browser, and then there's like input thing. So the, then at that point, I think a framework, whatever framework you want, can take over, get the values from the input boxes or whatever, and then send it back to the servers. Like if you want to go back to the old school ways where server sends HTML, something grabs all the uh, inputs, and then sends it back to the server. You get a new HTML back. Yeah, there's like, isn't that the the React
1: like to string function like that passes all of your app into a, essentially a HTML yep. string and that. But you're saying we don't we wouldn't need that step anymore. It would just hit the server and just read what it has and it'll just it just send Correct. it. Wow, that's that's very cool.
2: Yeah, and and there are some frameworks um, that are already available for people to play with.
0: Do you, do you want to explain how that's different from server side rendering?
2: No, it it is server side. Like theory. it is server side. Ju-
0: rendering right. It's like it's just a different way of doing it, right?
1: Yeah, it's just it's kind of getting rid of another pass. Like because right now you you've you're importing everything, it's passing, and then you have a essentially one function that's passing that entire app again. So it's now it's cutting that out. It's just like reading it natively as if
0: yeah, it's yeah. native server side rendering.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow, out nice. of the box without um, these meta frameworks, so you can kind of use a lot of components that. Um, so you can share components that are on the front-end and the back-end, more useful, like let's say monorepos that co-locate back-end and front-end together, or maybe imports or something. But um, I think it opens the door to a lot of things, which is good. Like what? Um, Any so ideas? Any, what, what ideas have you had that you would do with it? Um, for, for a lot of times, I think, uh, not every part of your web page needs to be interactive and when you are in the react land you have to kind of if you if you pick the client side rendering uh, approach then you have to render everything every time on a render or something like that so when it's server rendered you can leverage all those um, um http headers and you can cache that stuff and things like that so that that opens door for this new concept called the island architecture where there's an island of interactivity in your web page where your forms and all that need to live, but everything else is static, so you don't need to re-render it constantly. Mm-hmm. So things like that could. So there could be like a help, help um, application that's mostly static content. Nowadays we could use like maybe um I don't know, maybe like a, a CMS or something that gives you help articles. Mm-hmm. But maybe um for for something else that's user generated, like blog post or something, you you wouldn't have to.
1: Yeah, but does that mean you? So you wouldn't? Does that mean you wouldn't have to use React then? For some, I mean, like if it's something simple and just to share components around, like you could just write your components in JSX, right? Without Correct. having to import React for all of its reactive features, yeah. is yeah. that? Because that would be another reason I think as well. Yeah,
0: you can write raw JSX.
2: Yeah, you could just... Yeah, exactly. For static pages like FAQs and stuff yeah. like that or... Yeah.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah, and it, and it's pretty brand new in my head, so... You, you don't need any things. of
0: the rendering performance of React, right?
2: Yeah, so... Uh, that's, what, that's
0: what you're saying. Like, you're you're writing raw JSX, rendering it on the server and sending it across. Yeah. It's not changing. So you don't need any of React's, like, buffer yeah. swapping stuff.
2: Yeah, buffer swapping stuff. There's no virtual DOM stuff that it has to consolidate. Um, Small performance, yeah. Yeah, and um, here you go. We're starting to scratch the
0: surface on what performant runtime actually. Yeah, means. yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think if I, I don't know if it's still true, but this um, React or render to string function, I think it was synchronous. Mm-hmm. So if you if your component tree is huge and is doing a lot of things, then it was a blocking operation. So if you have like a lot of things to be done or a lot of requests coming in then if it's a blocking operation, your kind of server process is blocked. Yes. There is,
1: though, I believe, a stream, like a render to string stream,
2: I believe. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. 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 but the, I think there are like pros and cons for each one yes, of them. Yes, yes. If you have some effects, then you can't run it on the server because it doesn't, it's not the browser.
1: Yeah, and sometimes even just getting that up and running can be a bit of a pain. So not, it just like handling that for you natively is, is really nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that can be a bit tough to... To have to worry about <clears throat> well my voice just went
0: just like at the end it yeah right, right.
1: <laughs> so, so if you if you had to pick one that you you know would use now for a new project kind of where where would you go would you still stick to the tried and true V8s or would you try out some of these something something different?
2: Yeah, so I think for anything slightly serious, I think for work, I'll still limit most of my work to Node.js. It's tried and tested, so I'm not gonna take too many chances right there. But if I was doing a hackathon or something, I would pick Dino, and the reason for doing that is that Dino folks also have additional facilities like There's this thing called Dino Deploy, so they've taken care of deployments as well. They have like a Dino KV, which is if you want a key value store, it works. It They have a service for it, and I don't have to set up a whole lot of things, which personally I hate doing a lot of s- setup. Mm-hmm. That's why I have all the IDs possible on my computer. <laughs> I don't want to set up anything. Okay, this WebStorm is good at debugging. I'm going to use WebStorm for it. Like I have just... Given up on configuring things, hundred mm-hmm, uh, percent.
1: Wow, we just had the recent episode of uh, IDE wars, and you've you're not even in the war. You're you're in every single little everyone's pocket. Yeah, you got all the IDEs. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Because I'm a, I used to configure everything in my Vim at one point, and then I was like, why am I doing this?
0: Yep, I really like Vim. When I'm in flow and everything's working, as soon as I have to as soon as I hit a wall where I have to like reconfigure something or you know get some new plugin or something like that, I don't have time for this. Yeah. yeah. That's why same reason I use WebStorm for debugging, because I just like I don't like VS Code configuration. I don't like going through the config files and figuring out where my runtimes and stuff are set up. But no, no no no. Just I just want it to work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think I'm keeping a close eye on Bun, uh just because I think you don't trust it yet he hasn't competition good. i think the trust factor is tightly shaky as well like oh. um so i'll bring that that uh, who is what is the creator of bun
1: like very notoriously on twitter like uh <laughs> so I, I think spicy he
2: spicy things he says spiky th- spicy things and he spikes a few people as well um, namely the co contributors of um, wow. Node.js.
1: no it, it's the same thing like He's taken an Elon Musk approach to this,
2: uh, to, to running this. Yep. Yeah, so one so, oh, <clears throat> is performance focused. So that was one of the statements that I think he had made. And a lot of contributors or like the key Node.js community members came and was like, we did not say we are not pro- performance de- focused. And then they, they started saying, oh, so your benchmark is this. Again, it goes back to, again, benchmark. But if you do this benchmark this way, you are actually slower than us, faster than us. This So there's been some Twitter feuds. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And benchmarks can definitely, like, can be swayed. I, I, you know, d- depending how you benchmark and exactly how, you know, what. What process there is to do it? Yeah, data is, a, is only as trustworthy as
0: the process used to create it.
1: Yeah, isn't that the same way with like stats and like what like yeah. internal reviews? Yeah. They're like, okay, well, we'll we'll try and make we'll try and make the survey match the numbers you want. <laughs> Let's test it in a specific way.
2: So, do we want to read this uh, spicy tweet from or spicy X? Yeah, you can do it. It's sure. feeling cold in here. Warm us up. All right. So, one of the uh, core contributor to. To Node.js, and he's super active in the Node.js community, and and is a really talented person. Um, so, in his tweet, that did, did you rest- get that Rahul's lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not calling him out. <laughs> anyway, uh, so when Bun 1.0 was released, uh, his I, I think he, how he went about it is really nice in my opinion. Um, so he says. BUN hit the 1.0 release, and I'm both excited and disappointed.
0: <laughs> okay. It's
2: feelings, right? Uh, I really like what Jared Sumner, the creator of BUN, is building with it. And, but I'm frustrated by their compatibility claim with Node.js. In my experience, this is not a drop-in replacement. And many inner details differ. The results in many random issues over my repos, asking for fixes for Bun incompatibilities while people try it out. I would have preferred if they waited for calling it a 1.0 to reach greater compatibility with the ecosystem.
1: And he's referring to how very prevalently on the on the Bun web's, uh, front page website does say that it you know you can drop in replace it with uh, Node.js. Yeah. So yeah, if you make spicy. that claim,
0: it has to be drop in, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, and and the issue probably is like one, it's not maybe one point, maybe zero point one, right? But we also use another framework which just goes like major after major. So you you go React sixteen, then it's seventeen, then sixteen point eight, and then so I think versioning is like everyone's own uh, thing to do, I guess. But uh, I think what hap- what's happening probably is like because. It's new, the language they're building it in ZIG, which is also new. And maybe the low-level APIs are not 100% compatible. So like the way it interacts with the file system or the way it installs packages is very different to how Node.js does. So BUNJS has, I think, a binary log file. So if you do a yarn install, there's a yarn.log file and it's YAML and then... If you're stuck with a lot of merge conflict or something, you go nuts. But with bun, it's a binary file, so if you have a merge conflict, good luck, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, you can't read that. <laughs> yep. I mean, in a way, it's like we can't. We don't want people messing with the lock file. In in this way, it's like good luck. Try. Like yeah. It makes yeah. it removes the human desire to just tweak the values in the yeah. Lock so file.
2: I'm yet to um, like experience the pros and cons. I've read a few articles which says, oh, this is so much better. Oh, and so other camps say no, this is bad because then it's hard to do like manual resolutions or something. And then the other camps says, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. So I, th- I think I found it pretty interesting back and forth. But this, this to me is a sign of maturity where the, we are, uh, I think, fairly saying that, okay, maybe you need to improve in this way, or that way. And this has probably encouraged Node.js to maybe pull up their socks in a few departments, and maybe you know, as a result of Bun and Dino being around, they are more focused, they get more attention towards fixing certain issues, like my pet peeve is still the module problem. Mm-hmm. There's just way too many ways to write a module in Node.js, CommonJS, ESM, you name it, yeah. and default support for TypeScript would be so much, because I hate configuring it again.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Actually, I think uh, we always want to have a strong competitor to any leading system, right? Like whether it's in games industry or whatever. Like in any industry, you always want to have some strong competitor. You don't want any. You don't want one system that has a complete monopoly on
2: quality, features, price, all that stuff, because it's not good for the market. Yeah, and I, and I think as humans, I think. Um I don't know about everyone, but when when you see a little bit of healthy competition, let's let's say a new person joins your team and they're really good at observability, and you haven't had the time to look at observability, and you know that you know that's something that you need to pick up on. But because now you have someone to bounce ideas off and then learn off and then you know pick up, I, th- I think that's how improve. Like competition isn't always a bad thing. Mm.
1: So I just uh I wanted to get up a list of other runtimes because we've talked about certainly the major ones, Dino, Node, blah blah blah. Uh, so I wanted to get a list of a bunch of others. Which I did. Uh, And what I notice is that there's a a table, and it has one column is runtime, the other column is engine. And earlier we said that an engine and runtime is kind of the same thing, but it's not, right, is what I'm just reading. So apparently uh, a runtime is a place or environment where the code executes, just like you mentioned. It's not the thing running the code itself. That is where the engine comes into play. And I just want to clear out that confusion because I know we we definitely yeah. said earlier that they were saying the same thing. They, they're clearly not. Um, I thought that was a, a, yeah, a good distinction to make. And I even found a little Stack Overflow article. Um, yeah, unlike C and other compiling languages, JavaScript runs a, in a container, a program that reads your JS codes and runs them. Program must do two things, pass your code and convert it to a runnable Commands and to provide objects to JavaScript so that it can interact with the outside world. The first part, passing the code, is what the engine does. The second part, providing objects to JavaScript script, so it can interact with the outside world, is where the runtime yep. comes in. Uh, so yes, I wanted to I wanted to bring that up before I got into some of
2: the the list of yeah. Other so JavaScript if we combine engines. all our answers. We are right. Yeah, that's right. we <laughs> were saying like the en-
0: engine's responsible for transpiling, right? That's and, right. Yeah. But then the runtime is actually the execution yeah. part.
2: And, and usually they are together.
1: The, yes. Yeah. So some of these, some of the runtimes that I found. So Node.js on V8, Dino with V8, Bun, JavaScript Core. There's one called Just, which is on V8. Uh, I don't know how to say this one. Tixkey JS, which is on QuickJS. I've never heard on that engine, uh, QuickJS. There's Napa JS on V8, ELSA on QuickJS, and WindowJS on V8. Oh, wow. uh, and there we go.
2: Yeah, I think there were a few um, that I excluded because I wasn't sure about their status. If someone and last commit was like six years ago or something, then because there were a couple tech. of runtimes um, for Graal that were abandoned recently. So I, I just thought let's not waste some
1: Yeah, so QuickJS, which is the other engine uh, referenced on these lists, is a small and um, and embeddable JavaScript engine. It supports ES2020 specifications. It optionally supports mathematical extensions such as big decimal floating point numbers, big binary floating point numbers, and operator overloading. So it seems to be heavily (laughs) suited for like math and and big sort of... For JavaScript?
2: Yeah, for JavaScript. Yep, there you go. In the same language that does triple equals? And double equals? (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, right. I'm scared. Yeah. I know,
1: very, very different.
0: Interesting choices. I feel like people in that situation are probably working in ecosystems like ours where there's like a, everything has to be in TypeScript because it means any dev can go to any team and everyone knows how to work with the language. They're like, well, we have a math problem we need to solve. Can we do it in TypeScript?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, some of these are good. So for example, uh, Seek is mostly a software company. But if we were to create a device of our own, like a Seek dongle or something, and you need to write software for it, maybe for the first few versions we use JavaScript because we have a lot of JavaScript devs. So maybe it's like a entry point and then they replace it down the line. That's, that's just one use case I can think of. Um, yeah. Or easier to hire JavaScript devs. So that was that the, I think good.
0: that was... The biggest push for us to move more to TypeScript was hireability because I used to work in one of our Scala teams and it was a struggle. It was a struggle to hire people, like especially experienced engineers. Um, They're just fewer and further between, you know. Absolutely. And if you can solve the problem in JavaScript with a little bit of performance loss and then save tons of money on recruiting, then like that's an easy easy trade-off to make, I think, for a business.
1: What are your takeaways? What have
0: you learned, Seamus? I've learned a lot. I was not really familiar with exactly... I wasn't really familiar with runtimes at all before today, to be honest. Um, it's one of those things that like, you pick up on the fringe uh, conversations happening here. or there. like, I've heard about Dino over a year ago, I think. Um, but then I don't think about it again because we work in a fairly closed ecosystem. We're not often changing any of our architecture. Uh, I'm fascinated by the idea of running JSX inside uh, the runtime. And the distinction between engine and runtime is nice to know. And to clarify those two things. Not every runtime is an engine, but most engines have a runtime. Every engine would have a runtime.
1: Yeah, I've also, I mean, you said that things don't change very often, I guess, in the JavaScript space. Well, I would disagree. I think there's a they lot change of rapidly, change. Very rapidly. Yeah. Very rapidly. But I, I've, certainly with the runtimes and engines, that's a lot slower, and the, the competition is a lot s- more sparse than that. that regard compared to frameworks which oh yeah like
0: we talk about packages typescript packages that's like uh, on any given week i'm not sure if we're still using the same package you know that's right yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: but certainly with with engines and and i feel like they're a lot more lock-in as well it seems like some of these engines are are starting to make it trying to say that they're a lot easier to just drop in replace so you can just quickly onboard. but it sounds like that is that is a hard battle for whoever's making the engines themselves and uh and it's not as always as easy as it
2: seems Yeah. Um, I I think for me, it's good to have options, first thing. And I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever been bitten by licensing or something, let's say tomorrow Node.js foundation says, if you are a company more than X developers, you got to pay us. Right. And then you have
0: six months and then we will just stop. You won't be able to get NPM packages or something like that, you know, like, yeah. 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 Go, yeah, go the
1: Unity approach. Do, uh, every download costs you a dollar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, every so single team would be rapidly trying <laughs> to move away from that package. through the AWS bill. We've got our MPN bill coming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think they're pushing towards a bit more maturity. So like, if you go to any more mature, I would say mature slash older ecosystems, which have been around for a while, most of them have these things out of the box. Like say if you go to C-Sharp land, for example, they might not have formatters and stuff, but there's like a default test runner. They they have um, basic networking libraries and everything. You don't have to... So to write a .NET application, and you can take get away quite far without installing most third-party libraries. And I think which is good, which is kind of going against that uh, node modules meme that you see that... Um, you write this app, and then there's Node module folder, which which is like downloading the entire universe kind of thing. .Net is the web storm of code. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, JavaScript yeah. is the VS code of IDEs. <laughs> so e- even the modern um, r- modern platforms like Go and Rust are taking that approach. So like to get started, if you don't have like finicky opinions or something, you'll be just fine without installing anything extra. Which which leads to some good things like you don't have to worry about your Vulnerability detection, something like if the runtime has issues, you just, you know, bump up the runtime version or something and then you don't have to think about those package and maintainers and so peer on dependencies. and so forth. You don't yeah. have
0: peer dependencies anymore.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah I think the competition
1: is good. Like but certainly things like Bun, who are making waves uh, are, are going to help uh, shape directions that uh, the other engines go as well, I think. Uh, so it's good to see. Um, I do like... It, yes, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. Runtimes is definitely something I don't think about. I think uh, my views of what I've learned I pretty much mimic exactly what Seamus said. Yeah, I think I would now
0: try a different runtime, whereas previously if I was doing a project, I would be like, no, I wouldn't yeah. even think about it. But now, now I would probably do a little bit of research and
1: think about what I want to use. I've been if wanting it, to use Xeno for a while, but I've just been uncertain. Like It also feels like... we. I've been using Node so much that moving to a different runtime is going to take some learning as well, Uh, which is part of the fun. Like I feel like as engineers, learning something new is always fun, but you you also get so used to working in one language that transitioning—sorry, yeah—with one kind of you know API that learning something new that really radically changes how you're going to be writing JavaScript can take a little bit of
2: yeah onboarding. i think writing javascript hasn't been that much of an issue there have been some things that have really challenged me like in dino your import statement is a url
1: yes that's something i noticed which is kind of <laughs> cool though i mean the fact that it you don't have to worry about an import you just copy a url in yeah cuz cuz you don't have like the you don't have a package.json right yeah
2: there's way where you can kind of consolidate what all urls and things uh, okay. you can do but most examples that you see th- there's like a long url and i wasn't sure how it works or default export now, named export
0: i'm wondering if it like doesn't change if you restructure your directories like is it a universal resource link that you you know doesn't matter how your directory structure changes so Whereas this is right for now, if you move stuff around your imports this is third party third packages party.
2: Ah. Third party or even like the standard lib. So Dino comes with a standard library, but if you just want like this part of the standard library, you just get that one. Interesting. So that that really kind of like made me uncomfortable in a good way. It's like, I've never thought about how it would work. And um, yeah, like all those flags that I mentioned. So I have to explicitly tell. So like if you don't have the allow network flag, it won't download anything from the internet. Oh, wow. Interesting. True. Is that on by default? No. That,
1: no, it's not. Wow, you got to turn it on. Okay.
2: So the first attempt was like, I just copied exactly the same thing as the website. It's not working.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You downloaded a, a, a web page <laughs> and you tried to import that as a package. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I do like these ideas. I think uh, I, I think the, the road and the future of, uh, of engines, I think, is is looking good. Um, lots of innovation.
2: Yeah, at least people will make less fun of us using JavaScript. Look, my little Nginx plugin can serve more requests than your JavaScript code, or, like, this Go app serves more requests. Sometimes it's not about more or less, right? So, but at least those discussions, oh, it's equally performance, or, so, you know, I love TypeScript, so I'm going to keep using it because doesn't hurt me.
0: At the end of the day, I can't say that I'm unhappy with the unified ecosystem, everything being TypeScript, being able to just jump into someone's code base and read the language and understand what's happening is, I can't ask for anything better than that. I think we have to
2: do this, where in an ecosystem where everything changes so rapidly, you have to kind of make your safe space so that you're not configuring ESLint every other day. You're not breaking bills because something else changed. So you have to isolate yourself. So I think that's good in most um, open source-based things that move as fast as the JavaScript ecosystem. Yep.
0: Nice. Thanks for giving us the rundown on all this stuff, answering our questions and entertaining us, uh, talking about JavaScript runtimes. Definitely learned 99% more about runtimes than I knew before. Yep, I feel smarter. That's what we want at the end of a recording, (laughs) right? Absolutely. Nice.